Hello, I'm Andy Stevenson and welcome to a new series of A Winning Mindset brought to you by the International Paralympic Committee and their long-standing and now worldwide Paralympic insurance partner, Allianz. We lived up to our name as our first season won a host of podcast awards and we're delighted and very grateful that you're either coming back to us or finding us for the first time. If you are new, then please do listen to some of those first season interviews with the likes of Johnny Peacock, Tatiana McFadden and Husna Kukendakwe. Our aim is to introduce you to stories with Paralympians that will spark confidence in your everyday life. Stories of challenges, ups and downs, determination and excellence. This season will focus on mental health and how to deal with setbacks. Get to know the true power of having the right team behind you and join us as we prepare you for what's ahead. This episode is very much a team. Vision-impaired skier Millie Knight and her longtime guide Brett Wilde. Millie was only 15 years old when she competed at her first Winter Paralympic Games in Sochi. And then together with Brett, she went on to become World Downhill Champion in 2017 before winning three Paralympic medals last time out in Pyeongchang. Millie, we met just recently again. We had a brief chat the other week at a, a kit launch in London and it was good to see you. So thanks for joining this podcast. And before we get into chatting about, you know, skiing, sport, your your career, etc., it might just be a, a silly question, but I'm, I'm well known for asking silly questions. Did the pandemic and the lockdown have any sort of specific implications on you as a blind person? Or was it just event cancellations and that kind of thing that affected your life? The lockdown was actually... I, I feel quite bad for saying this, but it was quite good for me. I was really able to concentrate on just my fitness. I had no other distractions. So sort of my physical fitness and, and training was was actually really good. And having so much time at home that I haven't been fortunate to have since like the age of 12 was amazing for me, not having to actually go anywhere. I had time to take up different things. I took up Taekwondo, which was amazing. But as a... Yeah, as someone with a visual impairment, I obviously rely on sound a a lot more. And when people wear masks, it muffles their voice. And especially with, uh, so like if you're in a shop, for instance, having the the little plastic barriers between you and the shopkeeper and then adding on masks as well, it really does reduce the audio quality. So that, that's that been a bit of a struggle. But apart from that, it's it's been good. Now, I know the um, vision impaired skiers get asked this all the time. So forgive me, but I do think it's important to set this up for people who are hearing you for the first time. How does someone who essentially cannot see come to take part in one of the most dangerous sports out there? Oh, it's it's so much easier not being able to see. <laughs> I think I'd be terrified if I could see what I was actually going down. <laughs> it does seem like the craziest thing to ever do. When I lost my sight, my mum was like, right, you're coming skiing. Um, just because you can't see doesn't mean that you're not going to enjoy our family holidays too. And uh, yeah, I guess that's that's how I got into it. At the time, I didn't really understand that I'd lost my sight or that everyone else sees differently to me. I just kind of subconsciously followed people when I was skiing I always wanted to be at the front behind the instructor in ski school and and I never really knew why I was just like oh I need to be at the front but obviously I was just naturally following the instructor um and I used to watch people's knees and and if if the knees started to bend I knew bumps were coming up so yeah it was it was a bit of a crazy time but I loved it I absolutely loved it and I just wanted to go more and more and more 
just outline uh, when and how your sight began to deteriorate and give us a sense of what you what you can see and I guess even more importantly what you can't see I used to think that I had like 100% sight (laughs) and and that like everybody saw the way that I saw and I guess it's probably only in recent years that I realized that (laughs) maybe I do see a bit differently to everyone else anyway I lost my sight uh in my right eye when I was probably around three and then I then lost it again in my left eye when I was six and then in about 2015, it kind of deteriorated a little bit again. But hopefully, fingers crossed, it shouldn't go again unless, I don't know, something drastic happens. But in theory, it's, this this is kind of, this is how I see now. And uh, I've only got peripheral sight. So I've got scarring on my retinas that sort of prevent me from seeing centrally. And like I say, it's around two metres, but within that two metres, it's not clear. Now, we're going to talk a bit about support networks in this episode And if you're lucky, I guess for most people, your first support network is your mum. And in your case, Millie, your mum was actually your very first ski guide as well. To everyone, you know, their mums are the most important people in their support network. But I think for me, because it is just me and my mum and my family, it's even more crucial. And her being a part of my skiing career since, well, she was the initiation of that career. So for, for me to start my racing life with her and win my first medals as well was was amazing and uh yeah it certainly you know put me in good stead going forwards I mean I like to say that she she just retired (laughs) from from competing I think her version of events is probably slightly different in sort of footballing parlance she moved upstairs didn't she she became your manager yeah so so she was promoted to a more admin role and uh, <laughs> and I had to get an, a new, slightly faster version, which I guess was difficult because at the time we were fully self-funded and I didn't really have any major sponsors or, or lottery funding. And so suddenly having to go from paying for two people, we're now paying for three people because I was still like a minor. My mum still had to come with me. And so that suddenly became quite difficult. But well, here I am now with some amazing incredible sponsors that I'm super grateful for so I guess humble beginnings and for anyone who's not watched vision impaired skiing so you have a guide in front of you who's usually wearing a kind of bright colored bib or jacket or I know with the British team this season um, that guide is actually wearing a an all-in-one ski suit in a, in a bright color and you're and you're watching them if you like in front of you uh, going down and the two of you are, are communicating by by bluetooth so that that role is is so unique and special. So when you switched from your mum to finding a new guide who ended up being Brett Wilde, describe how important that search is and how important it is that you, you get to the right person to be your guide. It's it's a vital thing. You know, you, you, you wouldn't put an F1 driver in a, in a rubbish old car and expect them to do well. You know, they have to have the trust and, and ability in, in their car. And I guess that's the same as me. Like my guide has to be significantly faster than me and a better skier, because if, if I need to speed up at all at any point, they need to be able to push on, you know, twofold. So it's, it, it was seriously, seriously difficult trying to find somebody because 
there's so many different factors, really like hundreds of different factors that make a brilliant guide. A couple of guides I did have, I somehow ended up injuring. Um, I don't think it was a direct res- you know, result of me, but they did get injured. So it was, it was very difficult because like I say, they need that race experience. And although there are some amazing skiers in the UK, we are not known for skiing. Um, so we don't have that many people who have competed at the level that I need them to compete at who are a not still competing and b available so that was really really difficult and I went through so so many guys the season that Brett joined he was guide number eight or guide number nine you know I'd had I'd had that many that season and you know through like I said various different things and reasons why certain guys didn't work out and then Brett came along and I didn't like him um (laughs) I thought you're so annoying. <laughs> you are definitely not the guy for me. He didn't tell us that bit. We're going to hear we're going to hear from Brett in a moment and he didn't tell us that bit, I'm afraid. He didn't tell you that bit, did he not? <laughs> it's yeah, it's quite funny, really. Bless his heart, he was trying so hard on his like first 3 trial days that he had with me. I mean, he was really thrown into the deep end. It was it was awful, awful conditions and the powder was like oh, there was so much snow. He was so enthusiastic and he was so keen to learn. He just kept asking questions. And initially I was like, oh, you are so annoying. Stop asking questions. But actually it's like, it's one of the things I love most about him now is that he just wants to get things right. Thankfully it did work out with Brett and we had an amazing sports psychologist at the time who was incredible. She um she basically took Brett into like one of the basements of the houses we were staying in and kind of gave him a good talking to. <laughs> Probably scared him, I don't know. What was it about Brett that, eventually sparked confidence in you to think okay this is my man this is this is the guy that I'm going to ski with and win titles with and win Paralympic medals with oh I think certainly over time through tough situations and amazing times we've really grown together as as friends and I think that is one of the most important things as as a guide and athlete relationship is that Brett has my back and I have Brett's back even off the slopes. I trust him as a skier, as a guide, as a person, as a friend. And the first, you know, the first time that we ever raced together, we won. And it was the first time we'd ever even skied in gates together too. So <laughs> I remember somebody standing at the start at the World Cup race and uh, they said to him, right, Brett, make sure you don't hit the gates because they'll ping back in Millie's face. He was like, what? What do you mean? What? <laughs> yeah, I think from that moment onwards where he just stepped up, you know, he was he was told to do something. He did it. He executed it amazingly well. He, um, he, he got me down safely, but most importantly, as fast as possible. He's an, he's an incredible guy, really. I don't know what I'd have done without him. I maybe wouldn't even still be skiing without him because, you know, that bond that we have is is very professional, but we're also very capable of having a really good laugh. And that's that's one of the things I love most about Brett is his sense of humour. And like I say, he can be annoying, but I think I can be very annoying too. So we're (laughs) we're equal on that front. I mentioned world titles and, and Paralympic medals, but of course things do go wrong in your sport. And when they go wrong in your sport, they go wrong big time and our crashes and then the recovery from crashes the the hardest times or the times you need not just Brett but you are they the times that you need that support team the most and and in what ways would you say you need them at those points 
definitely crashes are one of the worst most terrifying things that happen in our sport they're an inevitable thing that happen in our sport we do a very dangerous uh, crazy thing and things can go wrong you know within a split second and they have done for me which has been really tough but the three big crashes that I've had I've had with Brett and he's been he's been incredible around them really really incredible the reassurance the support the patience oh my days the patience like I the three big crashes I had I sustained really really severe concussions from them I I became probably quite a challenging person to be around with my concussions and Brett has stuck through it all and uh yeah he's never once sort of wavered in his loyalty to me and uh for that I'm I will always be grateful to him and yeah like I say you know it's it's not just a role of skiing in front of somebody while skiing and then that's it you know it, it is it's a full-time job there is there's is not much let up because once 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 I take my skis off you know I'm then a visually impaired person walking around who needs some help being guided with steps and at a buffet knowing which food is which and negotiating and navigating hotels and stuff like that so yeah <laughs> he's like a full-time carer <laughs> no um he does he does a brilliant job and it's you know it's not just him it's it's the whole support system and network that I have around me that I'm very very grateful for and it's it's a very fortunate position to be in where we have like five coaches and uh, two physios sports psychologists performance lifestyle coaches yeah we have strength and conditioning coaches not everyone else has my (laughs) mum So, you know, I'm very lucky on that front. So we're in a really good position. More from Millie Knight in a moment. But first, let's get to know who is behind her for what's ahead. Brought to you by Allianz, a long-standing and now worldwide Paralympic insurance partner of the International Paralympic Committee. We're introducing you to the people behind the Paralympians, the ones that spark their confidence and help them prepare for what's ahead. And in Millie's case, her team is led by her skiing guide, Brett Wilde. Millie and I did a lot of work with our um, sports psychologist, Kelly Fay, off the snow. So it was it was basically trying to trying to create that trust and kind of some of the things were, were as crazy as like telling each other secrets that other people don't really know. Um, and that actually became quite funny and we had quite, quite a lot of fun with that. Other things that Millie and I have done, me and my fiance Claire have uh, traveled down to Millie's and we spent two weeks there for the for the summer where where we did various activities just going to concerts together and uh, we went and did Go Ape which was great because I was guiding Millie through, through Go Ape and actually she's probably braver than I am so some sections she was probably guiding me through and making me jump off but I think it's such a wide range of things and, and building up the friendship and everything off snow helps so much on snow because your role really brett is is predominantly isn't it to to give millie confidence spark confidence in millie when she's competing yeah 100 percent. which it's it's a, it's a massive change from when i raced myself because skiing such an individual sport and um, when i was racing it's just get to the from the top of the slope to the bottom of the slope as fast as possible no one can affect you it's all down to you whereas the role that i'm in now it's about I, I was told from the start, it's getting Millie safely, then competitively from the top to the bottom of the slope. So it, it, it's a whole new aspect. I'm not thinking about myself at all coming down that slope. I'm telling Millie what's coming up, trying to listen to the sound of her response to see if she's confident. I, I can tell now, we've been doing this so long, I can tell from Millie's breathing if she's nervous, if she's 
not 100% confident. And as you say, that that's it's my job to try and install that confidence and motivate her and pull her down that slope. You've had a couple of, of big crashes which have affected um, both of you. So what's your role at that point, both in the immediate aftermath of an accident and then kind of in the weeks and months whilst you guys are trying to kind of come back and mentally deal with that accident? The one that always springs to mind was when Millie fell at the end of the World Champs back in 2017, which was was crazy emotions because I, I realised we'd just won gold and become GB's first Snowsport World Champions. And then as I turn around and, and we're trying to stop, Millie catches an edge, has a huge fall and slides right underneath the barrier. So immediately I clipped my skis off, sprinted over to where Millie was. And it was an inflatable barrier that, as she'd slid under, was reinflating and kind of crushing her. So I, I had to squeeze my body underneath this barrier, and I'm on my all fours, hands and knees, trying to push the barrier back up, screaming to anyone, can someone come and pull Melly out of this? Because she was lying on the floor and, and couldn't get out. So immediately I just think it's about trying to make like clear decisions and help Melly as much as possible and get her to safety as soon as possible. And then in the longer term, twice... Millie and I have returned from Millie having a concussion. And I'd say for me, it's probably from from witnessing a few injuries through the sport, I would say it's one of the hardest ones to come back from because there's no time limit on how long the, the recovery is going to take. And it's it can go from amazing to awful so quickly. And my role there was just trying to remain positive, be there for Millie as much as I can, support her, try and show her that I understand and that, and and not be impatient because in a team sport, it, I I know throughout the recovery that at times Millie's thinking, oh, I'm holding Brett back and I'm never going to get better. And it's about because we have such an open and honest relationship and team between me, Millie and I that that we we just need to to speak about these things. And, and if there is an issue and if there's somewhere annoyed about, it's about being open, honest, and then nipping it in the bud. Uh, and that's something we're very very good at that we don't let things small things manifest into massive problems and issues. We just work on them immediately. Just listening there to your guide, Brett Wilde, who is your voice behind Millie, or in this case, your voice in front, really. It's fascinating. And when I think of the mental health aspect of your crashes, how do you go away and recover from something like that? Concussion is probably one of the, the worst things that I've been through. I'd rather lose more sight than, than have another concussion. It's it's really, really horrible because it's not like a broken leg where, you know, you've you've got that set time frame that it recovers in and, and you've got x-rays to prove that it's fixing and people can visibly see that you've you've broken your leg because you've got a cast on on your crutches. Whereas with concussion, it's kind of a, a hidden injury. Well, it's, it's a mild traumatic brain injury that, that can be fairly, fairly horrible. For me, the concussions had such random and weird symptoms. Like I couldn't look up without feeling sick. I couldn't properly walk in a straight line without kind of wobbling and falling over. I I struggled from focusing between long distance and short distance. My head was pounding and uh, I just had this like overriding fatigue that just wouldn't go away. And that was, that was one of the things that took kind of the longest to recover from confidence confidence really goes and that's and that's where it becomes really tough and what can your support network do for you in those periods because I'm not just thinking Brett here or even necessarily just your mum but you know your whole 
team of coaches, the psychologist you mentioned ex- earlier, what can those people do for you whilst you're going through that trauma? Yeah, well, I think like throughout the various different stages of, of the concussion and re- rehab and injury and things like that, there are various different things that some professionals are more suited to at the earlier stages and or or at the later stages I'd, I'd you know be referred to somebody else and thankfully UK Sport and the National Lottery and GB Snow Sport have been absolutely phenomenal. But when you're at home do you just like to try and shut everything out or do you like to have a cup of tea and chat about things? How do you keep your mood up I suppose? Yeah mood was something quite difficult especially like during the concussions um because that's something that fluctuates on a like hourly basis when you've got various different you know chemical imbalances going on in your head and um and so I think you know that has been the one good thing that concussion has taught me is to to speak and to to be really open and honest about how I'm feeling what I'm experiencing what I'm thinking I mean we do think of mental health as being moods and emotions and feelings but in a sense, it's also quite literally the health of your of your brain, of your head. Do, do you worry? Do you now, even sat here now, do you worry about the head injuries you've had when you think about your longer term health? My biggest fear in life is hitting my head. Even, even when I'm, you know, bending down in the kitchen and then, you know, <laughs> one of the cupboard doors is open, you know, I'd panic, especially kind of initially when I had the injuries, like, I would be very hyper aware of of situations, you know, like even in a car and and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it's difficult. It is difficult, but yeah, I've I've learned to to cope with it. I guess. Let's talk about happier matters. I know you're fascinated by the psychology of sport and life, mental health. You study psychology at the University of Kent. You have an honorary doctorate. Not everybody has an honorary doctorate. What what fires your interest in in that subject of psychology purely probably got to put it down to kelly fay my sports psychologist it's it's always been my dream to be uh, a physiotherapist but i did i i you know i was so determined at school to, for that to be my career that i i resat my maths gcse i taught myself a gcse to, to make sure that i had enough gccs to to get into the university that i needed to but then with the, the pressures and constraints of, of skiing, I couldn't take the right A-levels because I wasn't going to be around enough. So I didn't, I couldn't get into uh, to physio, but I could get into psychology. And it was kind of quite a, a light bulb moment, really, doing psychology, because actually, you know, the work that Kelly has done with me is so performance changing, so life life changing, really, that that, you know, the, the crazy things and wonderful things that the brain can can do is well mind-blowing and do your studies help you when you're in the start gate well any education on on in psychology is is transferable and helpful i mainly focused on the neural side of things so i'm not entirely sure how the chemical reaction within an active potential of an of a neuron would help but uh yeah it's 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 all it's all knowledge and knowledge is knowledge is key i'm sure people listening must listen to that section on crashes and concussions and and anxiety and think how on earth is Millie coming back from all that and not just considering but is is almost a dead cert to be on the start line again at another Paralympics in a couple of months time I guess some of that sort of psychology in a positive way helps you to sort of push push on through all that why am I doing it again is a question that has obviously 
been floating around my head for a very long time with a third crash, third concussion. Yeah, it's it's, it's certainly a question that's very prominent in my mind. Go on then. So what's the answer? It's it's kind of an answer that I've come to very recently with a reflection of my last two Paralympic Games. Sochi, I was very young. I was very sort of, I guess, immature as an athlete. But, you know, it was an amazing opportunity. Pyeongchang was aiming for medals and uh, medal targets and, and funding opportunities. And, you know, the kind of the last two games have very much been for other people, I guess, in a kind of like extrinsic way. And, you know, I've, I've kind of, I've realized that maybe I've lost my bottle a little bit now. Um, I'm not the same skier as I was pre-2017, pre-crashes. I'm a different skier. I'm not necessarily worse. Well, <laughs> I don't know. My coaches might have a different opinion on that one, but it's just, it's just different now. I think differently. I have fear. You know, there's no denying that. I'm trying as much as I possibly can to get rid of that. But there's, like I say, there's no denying the fact that fear is now present and that does inhibit performance as much as I try to make sure it doesn't. But I'm now going into these games with a different mindset that these games are going to be for me. I'm, I'm going to enjoy them. You know, I'm going for the free kit. No, <laughs> um, no, I, it, I'm, I'm not going for a metal target. I'm not going for funding opportunities. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to make sure that I cross the finish line with a smile. And I know that seems like a, a sort of an opt out, but actually for me, I think it's released a lot of pressure in my head, a lot of weight off my shoulders that actually medals aren't the be all and end all. I've proved myself before. I'm I'm world champion. I'm three time Paralympic medalist. Yes, I haven't got the gold, but I, I, all I can do is try my best. And not aiming for medals is 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 quite nice. It, it's actually allowed me to concentrate on more important things and not just stress about the fact that you know I'm not doing as well as the other people or or stuff like that you know all I can do is my performance and I have to finish by asking you about something completely different which is martial arts you mentioned earlier you took up taekwondo during lockdown but also when I saw you a couple of weeks ago you said something to me which I thought right I've got to ask Millie about that on the podcast which is karate tell us about that my absolute love. I just do it as a little hobby, really. I love it. I absolutely love it. it. A lot of it translates into skiing too, which has been really helpful. My coaches have kind of grasped onto the fact that this is something I really love. And so they try and implement that into into my skiing. And the agility, coordination, balance, strength, power is, is very symbiotic to skiing. And, and there is a, is it a Commonwealth? It's not the Commonwealth Games, but it's the Commonwealth Karate Championship. Is that is that on your mind? You, and this is not a para event, is it? This is a non-disabled event. Yeah. So obviously there's the Commonwealth Games in well, next summer and karate has, has its version of the Commonwealth Games too. So, I mean, I'm currently training with the England para team for karate and it's it's one of the coolest things that I've done. And I've, I feel like I've done probably some pretty cool things. I'm by far not the best. You know, I'm I'm if if I was able to qualify for the Commonwealth Games, I certainly wouldn't be aiming for a medal or anything. But, you know, it's it's just something that's so cool. <laughs> and some people listening might think, um, oh, crikey, why is Millie doing these martial arts after after the concussions? But of course, the beauty of karate is you're not going to get kicked in the head, are you? No, no. Um, I mean, taekwondo, yes, I would get kicked in the head. <laughs> <laughs> 
I I have never done an actual taekwondo fight. I just do it for the fitness and the training. Fine, fine. Okay, that makes sense. And then karate is actually really non-contact, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So there are two sort of branches of karate. There's the kumite side of things, which is the fighting that was uh, demoed at Tokyo for the very first time. And also kata. Kata is like the the solo sort of competition you you perform a series and pattern of movements assuming you were fighting invisible enemies i guess <laughs> and uh it, it, i guess it kind of it looks like a whole load of fly swatting <laughs> that's uh, well that when i first started that's what i thought it looked like but actually now the power the discipline it's the the, the body control is unreal the performances of sandra sanchez it, uh, the spanish athlete in in tokyo were awe-inspiring they really were and yeah it's 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 a really it's an amazing sport. <laughs> I just want to finish by asking you if there were people listening to this who have got their own kind of mental health challenges or or perhaps you know recovering from injury in some way what would be your advice to those people in terms of how to help themselves get through it or or maybe how to kind of bring their own support network into into play to help them get through that situation. I heard a, a saying recently that, you know, yes, everybody's got a lot on their plates, but some people's plates are made from polystyrene and some people's plates are made from concrete. So some people may think that, oh, you know, they've not got much on, how could they be struggling? But actually, you know, it's a massive deal to them. For me, it's, it's, it is about talking, but it's about time. That's, you know, not, not everything happens immediately. And uh, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And if you can't see that light yet, you're not there. Sometimes it's about giving into it and uh, accepting the fact that that's how you feel at that time, but it's not how you're always going to feel. And as long as you're open and honest with with people around you, not everybody, because I understand that trust is a is a massive thing, and that you know you you wouldn't tell the bus driver of your bus that you know you're not feeling great, but you know choose the select people around you and make sure they're there aware. That's something that certainly helped me. Well, Millie, thanks for being so uh, open and honest with us. And um, we wish you well, not just with the karate, but of course with your preparations for the Winter Paralympic Games. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Great to hear from Millie Knight and her guide, Brett Wilde. You have to be careful using the term brave around Paralympic sport, but coming down a mountain at 100 kilometres an hour when you can't see surely puts Millie into that category for the right reasons. Next time, I'll be speaking to Paris swimmer turned cyclist Hannah McDougall from Australia, who has a PhD in well-being and can offer us all some tips on how to better navigate our lives. <laughs> 